Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. We're going to continue a series today. We're calling it Family Tree. Uh, We're looking at the family of Jesus Christ. We spent the first week of this series looking at Zechariah. Uh, Zechariah, how he was a righteous man in terms of the law, but he struggled in this moment that called for supernatural faith. Then we compared him last week to Mary, Jesus' mother. Uh, Mary was someone who was applauded for her faith, actually by Zechariah's wife, uh, because she had faith not in something that was improbable, but something that was impossible. And we looked at how that promise that she was given was not just a valuable promise, but it was also a costly promise. Uh, God's promises to us, to us are always valuable, but sometimes they're also costly. Sometimes his promises mean that we're stepping out of our comfort zone and that we're, we're giving up something as well. So this morning, uh, in a sense, we're going to go backwards because we're going to go back to, to Zechariah and Elizabeth. We're going to look at their son that was born to them. His name was John. We know him better by the name John the Baptist, which is not a reference to a denomination. It's a reference to what he did. He was John the Baptizer. Uh, He was uh, Jesus' second cousin. I asked a few people this morning, what do you think of when you think of John the Baptist? Go. And they said locusts and wild honey uh, and a wild man. That's just what we think of with John the Baptist. But John's uh, story, uh, it's told to some degree in all four Gospels. Uh, it, It never comes off as a story that's just mentioned in passing or on a whim, but it's always told as a significant backdrop to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, In fact, I love how the gospel of Mark frames the story of John. We'll just start in verse 1 of chapter 1 of Mark. He says, The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So when Mark is, is penning the gospel, he says, hey, this is the beginning of the story, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about a guy named John the Baptist. He says the story of Jesus Christ begins with the story of John the Baptist. John's story was not just thrown in to add a little extra to it. His story is intertwined with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Uh, John was a man whose calling and purpose in life was to prepare the way for Jesus' coming. It was to prepare hearts for Jesus' coming. He was the fulfillment, as it said, of Isaiah's prophecy, one preparing the way for Jesus. Now, this was actually a common practice in that time, that if a king was, was visiting a new land, he would send a messenger ahead of him to prepare the way. It's not actually uncommon today. Presidents or kings today will send uh, diplomats ahead of them to prepare the way. Uh, I remember uh, being deployed uh, to the Middle East when I was in the Air Force, and uh, we would be working, and sometimes uh, we would have visitors that were either famous or uh, deemed very important, more important than we were, but they would never show up uh, just uh, out of nowhere. They would actually send people ahead of them, and they would come and tell us what we needed to do to prepare for their arrival. What that usually meant is what we needed to clean before their arrival, uh, before the important person arrived. This was John the Baptist. He is preparing the way beforehand for Jesus to come. This is his calling in life, is to prepare the hearts. 
Now, this unfolded in two primary messages that John had. The first one was a message of repentance. This is the one we, we know the best. John taught repentance. He preached repentance. He talked about the fruits of repentance. He baptized into a baptism of repentance. John came on the scene and he said, to get your hearts ready for Jesus Christ, it starts with this. You need to repent. You need to have a change of heart and a change of mind that prepares you for the coming of Jesus Christ. But Mark tells us there is actually a second message that John taught to the people and John preached. And I to look at that if we just continue what we were reading on into verse 5. It says, The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to John, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I am, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And I love this message that John has for the people. There is someone coming after me, and he is so worthy. I'm not even worthy of untying his sandal straps. This man coming is so worthy. But this is where it gets so interesting to me. Because concerning John's life and his ministry, according to the Gospel of Mark, that's basically it. Eight verses. John came, he taught repentance, he taught that Jesus was worthy. After that, it just says he baptized Jesus, he was placed in prison, and then a few chapters later, it says that he was beheaded. That's basically what we have, according to the Gospel of Mark, concerning the uh, life and ministry of John the Baptist. The other Gospels will add a little bit to that, but not a whole lot more. This is significant because I want to contrast this with something that the angel said to Zechariah that we read a couple of weeks ago. You'll remember a few weeks ago uh, in Luke chapter 1, Zechariah is in the temple when the angel Gabriel appears to him. And I want to pick up in that same story in verse 13. So this is talking about the birth of John the Baptist. It says, the angel said to Zechariah, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you and, and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. We've talked about just the power of this promise to Zechariah and how this would have been a difficult promise for him to have faith in because they've already gone down the road of infertility. They haven't been able to have a child. Now they're past the point of childbirth. Uh, so it's already a, a hard promise, but the, the coming of a son, that's just the surface of the promise because Gabriel doesn't just say, hey, you're going to have a child and then leave. He tells him what the child is going to be like how the child is going to be received. He starts in verse 14. If you want to put that back up, Greg, uh, verse 14, nothing out of the ordinary. He just says, hey, he's going to bring you great joy and delight. You can say that to pretty much any parents if they have a child coming. But then he says, uh, he will, uh, many will rejoice in his birth. He says, for this reason, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord, in the sight of the Lord. And it's that specific promise that I want to focus in on this morning. Gabriel promised this child of yours, Zechariah, John, will be great in the eyes of the Lord. And I just wonder, 
what Zechariah's expectations for his son were in that moment. If an angel is visiting you and telling you, hey, this kid of yours, he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. My expectations would be pretty high. And years later, Jesus said, hey, those, those words the angel said, they were fulfilled. They, they, they were achieved by John. In, in Matthew eleven eleven. Jesus is speaking. He says, I tell you, though among those born of women, there is not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. So he's saying those words that were spoken by the angel, they came true. None are greater than John the Baptist. The angel promised it. Jesus said it happened. He achieved this greatness. You know, greatness is one of those things we don't talk about a whole lot. Uh, mostly, I believe, because you know, we are called to live lives of humility, and we have this idea in our mind that greatness is in opposition to humility. Greatness is not the enemy of humility. Pride is the enemy of humility. We've actually been called to be great. We've just been called to be great and humble, which is a rare combination in the world today. You know, for the most part, we are born with a desire to be great. Uh, that desire, it subsides over time for most of us, uh, but we are born with it, and that's not a bad thing. The disciples argued all the time about being great in the eyes of God, and Jesus never said, stop wanting that. He just said, it looks a lot different than what you think it looks like. If you ask a child what they want to be when they grow up, children dream big. They want to be presidents or rich and famous. I asked uh, Kelly McQuaid, what did you want to be when you were a kid? He said, I wanted to be an astronaut. We just think big. We dream big. Or then there's my kids. Um, because I thought yesterday, in fact, that I would just ask my kids this question and they would prove the point. It didn't work that way. <laughs> I said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I even framed it based on this message. I, I said, I'm talking about how kids want to be really great. And JR said, I want to own Polly's because I really like their ice cream. <laughs> I said, JR, you can do anything. He said, okay, I don't want to own Polly's. This is a true story. He said, I want to own Strawberry Delight. I like their ice cream better. <laughs> If that's what you want, dream big. Then, then, then Davy answered the question. Now, Davy might be a politician because he was considering who was asking the question. And he said, I want to own a coffee shop. I said, that's my boy. And then he said, when I get older, after that, I want to work at El Toro. <laughs> Amen. Come on. Raise them right, church. So I guess I should say, most people are born with a desire for really great things, a desire to leave a great impact. But there's a key phrase regarding John's greatness that is crucial in this passage. Uh, and in fact, if it were not for this key phrase, we would look at Gabriel's words and we would say they probably weren't fulfilled. Because in Mark, for instance, John only gets eight verses. Could he really be that great? But in Luke chapter 1... There's uh, something I want to read, uh, verse 14, Greg. Gabriel, remember, is speaking. He says, he will be a joy and a delight, and many will rejoice because of his birth. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. Actually, the key phrase is not he will be great. The key phrase here is in the sight of the Lord. 
We should all have a desire for greatness in the sight of God. And, and in fact, I will go so far as to promise you that you have been divinely called to greatness. You have been created by God for greatness in the sight of God. You have been designed for greatness in the sight of God. But as you are likely aware, greatness in the eyes of God is nothing like greatness in the eyes of the world around us. In our culture, greatness is defined by houses and cars and money. Jesus said greatness in the eyes of God is defined by love, by service, and by childlike faith. Jesus said in Matthew 20, whoever wants to be the greatest among you should take the position of a servant. And then he said, in fact, that's why I came, not to be served, but to serve others. Now, it's important that Jesus talked about how, how different greatness would look in the eyes of God versus our culture, uh, because when we look at John the Baptist's life, we don't find greatness in the way that our culture would define it. Uh, define it. John didn't, didn't have houses and money and comfort. And even if we look at his life through the context of how we evaluate ministry today, John's ministry doesn't look that successful. You know, the, the angel proclaimed his coming greatness and Jesus confirmed his greatness. But if we look at the things that we're prone to look for, for greatness, then we look at the likes of Billy Graham and we say, you know, a man that touched millions, that touched nations and continents and, and countless people. We look at things like the size of ministry. Well, John's ministry was just a handful of believers. We look at the longevity of ministry. Does it span through the years? Well, John's ministry only lasted a few years because he was imprisoned and beheaded. Uh, we look at the reach or the impact of ministry. Well, John's ministry was really just a, a small region around the Jordan River. It didn't look like greatness to others. It doesn't necessarily look like greatness to us. And I want you to hear this part. I don't think it felt like greatness to John. I don't think John was doing this for, for Christ and thinking to himself, I am doing great things at this moment. I want you to see why, why I say this. Uh, part of John's greatness was this unashamed desire just to point people to Jesus Christ, even when it meant losing his own followers. And John 1 gives us this moment uh, of boldness and confidence in John's early ministry. Uh, the Bible says that John had been baptizing, and in John 1.29, it says that Jesus walked by, and the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is a statement of boldness and confidence, because in this moment, Jesus hasn't been healing the sick, and the blind aren't seeing, and the dead aren't raised. John just sees this man and says, that is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's him. Follow him. It's not about me. It's about him. Now, what happens after that is John is arrested and John begins spending time in prison. And you think, this man who is so great, you're probably expecting great rewards. And now here he is kind of rotting away in prison. And we get to Matthew chapter 11. And John, uh, the Bible says in verse 2 uh, of, of Matthew 11, when John, who was in prison, he's in prison now, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come, 
or should we expect someone else? Now, I want you to just kind of compare those two passages. In John chapter 1, he's saying, that is the Lamb of God. He takes away the sins of the world. And now he's in prison, nearing his beheading. And he's saying, are you the guy that we're waiting for? Because I feel like I've been walking in your will. And here I am in prison? Is this the rewards for the greatness that was prophesied over me? Is this the reward for what you said is the greatest man ever born of a woman? Church, doing great things for the kingdom of God, loving others and serving others and childlike faith and, and pointing others to Jesus. It's not what our culture values as great. And your rewards for those aren't going to be what our culture values as valuable rewards. In fact, the Bible says, don't even look for the rewards here. The rewards are on the other side of eternity. We live in this instant gratification culture, and for lack of a, a better term, we are called to eternal gratification living. The, the rewards for, for what we do on this earth, we don't seek them today. We live today for eternity. In fact, Jesus said things like love others, serve others, and lead others to him. But then in Matthew 11, or 5.11, he said, you're blessed not when people accept every word you say and, and heap praises on you. You're blessed when people insult you and persecute you and lie about you, falsely say all kinds of evil because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward. Where? Not here. Your reward is on the other side. Your reward is in heaven, and that is what we are stashing up, church, is treasures in heaven. We work today for the treasures and the reward in heaven. I mentioned earlier that, that uh, John the Baptist, this is his life, is preparing the way for the ministry of Jesus Christ and the life of Jesus Christ. He was doing everything in his power to prepare hearts of people for the arrival of Jesus. But the third thing that he was doing was he was pointing everyone to Jesus. It was like the sole purpose of John's existence was simply to point others and to lead others to Jesus Christ. And John, I believe, was good with that. My question is, would you be good with that? If I said, there is no other point of your existence than to point others with Jesus, would you say, I'm good with that? Because I believe most of us would say, I want more. I want more for, for my life. But biblically, there's nothing more. There's nothing more valuable than you can do in this life than point everyone you meet to Jesus. Point your family to Jesus. Point your friends and your coworkers to Jesus. This is the most valuable thing that you could do. And there's nothing more rewarding than you could do with your time. You, you may not see that reward today. You may not see it tomorrow. You're not supposed to. It's the most valuable thing you can do with your entire life. And Jesus said, that's what John did. He didn't have a huge ministry. He didn't have a long ministry. He didn't have even a far-reaching ministry. But he pointed people to Jesus. And Jesus said, there's never been anyone greater than this man who sacrificed everything simply to point people to Jesus. Uh, Renee, you can go ahead and come. Uh, John the Baptist, the Bible says, was a man who came in the spirit 
of Elijah, in the spirit of Elijah. What does that mean? Uh, if we go back, uh, it's uh, hundreds of years to the book of 1 Kings, uh, Elijah was a prophet who lived in the midst of a lukewarm people, a people who were kind of believers in God, but kind of in name only. They weren't really following God. And Elijah wasn't okay with remaining silent while, while watching people live in this way with one foot in and one foot out. So the, the, the best passage that just kind of sums up Elijah's life work would be 1 Kings 18.21. It says, Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Elijah had a choice or had a message. The message was simply make a choice. You don't have forever to keep one foot in and one foot out. Make a choice. Stop wasting time and follow God. The Bible says that John the Baptist came in that spirit, that spirit that said it's time to make a choice. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I will point everyone I meet towards the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I don't think it's a stretch to say that we have all been called to live in the spirit of Elijah. Not in a judgmental attitude, but a spirit that just goes and says, there is a Lamb of God. There is a God who, who I am not worthy to untie his sandal straps. He is so worthy, church. And we have a calling in life to point everyone to him. has entered this day where we are known for what we are against far more than what we're known for what we're for you don't have to go to people and point out every fault in their life you go to people and you point them to the answer you go to people and you point them to Jesus this is what John did and, and Jesus said there's nothing greater there's nothing greater than you could do. And there are days, church, where you might do that and it doesn't feel rewarding. It doesn't feel received. It's our calling. It's not my calling to do it on your behalf. It's my calling to equip you to do it. We are all called to be the church of Jesus Christ. We are all called to point people to Jesus Bible says this is true greatness, that God would increase as we decrease, that his spirit in our lives would increase as our flesh decreases, that his mission would be lifted up while our, while our own fleshly desires are pressed down. I don't know if I started early or talked fast. One of those two things happened. Lord, I pray this morning that, oh God, we would be missional. That we would desire to be great 
This whole lot back here is ours if you're wondering about parking. And then the school bus lot right across the way lets us use their lot for parking. So come, uh, come early and we'll see you on Saturday at 4 p.m. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, may God bless you.